Hey, y'all, go ahead and grab a seat and we'll get started here. Is everybody happy this morning? Are you guys college football fans? This is college football season. We should all be happy, right? I'm a Buckeye fan, so I'm happy. Uh, anyone? No one? I'm also a Browns fan. Yeah. So Jim and I, Jim and I need to text one another after the Browns play. It's been embarrassing. Um, hey, my name's John, in case we did not get a chance to meet. And I have been on sabbatical for five months. So that means I am incredibly relaxed. I'm actually sitting as I teach, which I have never done before and probably will not last throughout the whole teaching. But uh, I'm real excited to share with you guys here this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at an episode that I've never taught on about the transfiguration of Jesus. And I want to explain why we're going to do this. Last week I shared that each year around this time, we begin to re-examine our vision as a church. Where are we headed? What are we trying to accomplish? Are we getting it done? And so this year, we've had some, some people speak into that vision, and we're sitting and listening and seeking God. And so last week, Jim began this new series about what really matters, and he began with what I thought was a really excellent teaching that in this season for us as a church family, what we need to do is be listening. We need to be listening to one another, and we need to be listening to God. So today is part two of this series, and like I said, we're going to look at the transfiguration. That phrase is from the Latin, trans meaning across, and figure meaning shape or form. So we're going to look at an episode, a strange, out-of-this-world, otherworldly experience where Jesus' physical figure is shamed. I want to tell you what I want you to get out of this talk. We need a bigger Jesus. We need a bigger, limitless Jesus. Thank you. Yeah. I've had a number of different Jesuses in my life. I was not brought up in a Christian family, and so the first Jesus I had I would describe as being a kumbaya Jesus. We, had, uh, we went to a church camp, and there at the camp we would all hold hands at the end of the week, and we would sing kumbaya. None of us knew what it meant, and there was no content. There was no explanation of what Jesus had done for us. We just had these warm, gushy feelings, and that was my kumbaya Jesus. But it was replaced when someone sat down with me and painted a picture of this second image here, the self-sacrificing Jesus, the crucifixion, the self-crucified God. And I realized this happened. This happened 2,000 years ago. God entered into human history through the person of Jesus, and looking by faith at this image of a God who would go to such length to redeem me, to rescue me, to love me, to set me free, blew away the kumbaya Jesus and made me a Jesus follower. In time, this Jesus got a little broader. 
there was next the follow me Jesus, where I realized I was being invited into a life where I would actually live the Christian life and obey the teachings of Jesus and see God become bigger and bigger and bigger as I let him be real in my life. In time, I was invited into looking at Jesus as the missional Jesus, the Jesus that was on this mission to let every human being know who he was. And it was thrilling for me to learn of the love of God for the world. But this morning, I want to take a look at this next Jesus, the bigger, unpredictable, limitless Jesus. When I went on sabbatical, there were things in my heart that weren't right. I was frustrated. I was anxious. I was overwhelmed by life. Many of us walk into this room here today with that same experience. And shortly into the sabbatical, after a few weeks of just resting and laying on the couch, a few weeks into the sabbatical, it was as if the bed that I was laying on was wheeled into an operating room. And I realized God was doing surgery on my heart and wanting to lead me to a bigger understanding of who he is and what he wants to accomplish. And so that's what I want to talk about here this morning through the transfiguration. Before we begin looking at the text, I want to just describe where the disciples of Jesus were at. They had followed him for three and a half years. At this point in the story, they were convinced he is the answer to the problems of the world. He is the solution to every human heart. And they had walked through uh, looking at him as being the follow me Jesus and the missional Jesus. But at this point, he wanted to reveal something deeper about who he was. So we're going to begin our story in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 begins. Now about eight days after these sayings. Now let's just stop. I want to give you a Bible study rule here. Whenever there's words that relate to time, like after these sayings, it's giving us a clue to pay attention to context. One of the great things about studying the scripture is paying attention to that and realizing that there's a backstory that we need to understand. So let's look at 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 22, and we'll see the backstory. Jesus, in the episode right before this episode, pulled his disciples together and said this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So at this point in the story, these disciples are all in. They love Jesus. They know he's the answer. They're expecting the kingdom of God to show up on earth. And then Jesus says, actually, I'm about to die. And everything that they dreamed of goes up in smoke. They don't understand the big picture, but they are discouraged and dismayed. Back to the verse. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. Now, 
Uh, I shared with you guys a couple of weeks ago about my trip to the Rocky Mountains. For those of you that are there, those are real mountains. We were walking at 12,000 feet. This mountain, a little less so. This is a, an image of Mount Tabor, which, you know, if, if you walk up and look at that image closely, we could probably do it in a couple hours. Not that big of a deal. It's a low mountain. But the disciples went with Jesus up the mountain. Not all of them. Peter, James, and John alone. They went up the mountain to pray. Back to the scripture. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Now, we're going to flip around to other gospels. So let's look at Matthew 17, verse 2. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. If we look at the gospel of Mark... The next verse says this. Can you go to the next verse? There you go. Thank you very much. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Big picture. God has entered into human skin. God incarnate. And for three and a half years, they've seen Jesus do some really cool things. And they love him. They adore him. It's awesome. But his power, his out-of-the-box power and greatness has been veiled. And here on this mountain, he unveils and reveals his limitless nature. His face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. Next verse. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. There's a lot here, but of all the characters in the Old Testament, does anyone have any idea why Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus? What did Moses represent? Nice. He represented what is called the law, the section of the Old Testament that included the Ten Commandments. So Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets. So what we have here is two men that represent everything that's ever been communicated to humanity, the law and the prophets, and they're talking with Jesus there on the mountain. And Jesus, it says, speaks of his departure. Now, let me just take you. It's really good to pay attention to words here. The word departure is the word exodus. So the disciples knew this great story from the Old Testament of God sending a deliverer and rescuing his, his people and taking them on this exodus, this journey to the promised land. And when Jesus is on the mountain, he is speaking about his own departure, his own exodus, that is, his death, which he is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. So let's just brainstorm for a minute. What time of day do you think this is? 
It's probably nighttime. The text doesn't reveal this specifically, but it changes the story a little bit, doesn't it? Let's just imagine. You follow Jesus up this mountain. You're tired. Jesus begins to pray and to pray and to pray. And your eyes are heavy with sleep. And there on the mountain, it's silent. You hear some birds chirping. The moon has come out. And you look over and you see Jesus and you see this awesome sight that we're about to look at. They became heavy with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. That word glory, by the way, is in the Greek language, it's doxa. You guys remember the Christmas story where the shepherds, Jesus is being born, and he's being laid in a manger, and it says the shepherds saw the glory of God, and they were terrified because it was beautiful and it was awesome, but it was out of this world. And that's what the writer, Luke, is trying to convey here, that these disciples up on the mountain experienced something that was amazing and yet was awesome and a little bit scary at the same time. When they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we're here. Let us make let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. What do you guys know about Peter? Uh, this is so typical. Peter just blurts things out. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. So what's going on here is that the Jews had this holiday that they would celebrate once a year. It's called the, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And what they would do is they would remember the Exodus story. They would leave their homes, and they would go camping. They'd set up this little tent, and they'd live in this tent for a few days to remember that God had rescued them through the exodus that God had saved them. That's why Peter alludes to these three tents, and yet God doesn't think that's so cool to put Jesus on the same level. not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. Now, I don't know how well you guys know the Exodus story, but it was a cloud, a fiery cloud, that led God's people through the wilderness. And so the disciples on the mountain experienced the same Thing, this cloud. So just imagine being on the top of a mountain. I was, as I shared with you a few weeks ago, there was a time uh, we were at 12,000 feet. We had set up tents just like this, and then there was a thunderstorm. And you know what Orlando thunderstorms are like? Yeah, awesome, but we're not on the top of a mountain. And so there in my tent, I was terrified, but that terror was nothing compared to them experiencing God through this cloud, this out-of-this-world experience. 
So a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Uh, the Gospel of Mark phrases it a little differently. It says they were terrified. This Jesus that they had become comfortable with was now looking very different. What they saw was something that was awesome to them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So last week we talked about as a church family the importance of listening. Listening to one another. If you're married, listening to your spouse. If you're a man, listen to your wife. We talked about the importance of listening. Listening to God. And here in this episode, God himself says, okay, of all the things you need to listen to right now, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Okay, I want to flip over to Matthew chapter 17. Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. Why did it say rise? Not because they were sleeping. They had woken up because they are feeling awe. And they are on their faces. They are beginning, the dots are beginning to connect. They're beginning to understand that this Jesus that they love and adore is out of this world and without any, any limits. And they're afraid. And yet God in his compassion touches them and says, rise and have, have no fear. Have no fear. I'm with you. I'm committed to you. And they kept silent, back to the text, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, I got to admit, if that was me, if I was a disciple of Jesus, what would you do? You'd be like, dude, I got to tell you what I just saw. Jesus invited me up the mountain, and this is what he showed me. It's just awesome. And yet they told no one. Again, the Gospel of Matthew explains why, if we can flip there to chapter 17, verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision. Tell no one about this. Don't let anyone know what you just saw. This was for you. I didn't mean that for anyone else. I wanted to reveal myself in this special way to you. Don't tell anyone about it until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Until people that are following Jesus can see the full picture of Jesus' death and resurrection, until then, don't let anyone know who I really am. And I think we as human beings have this tendency. We have this tendency to use God for our own purposes. And God has revealed the limitless, out of the box, I can do anything nature of Jesus Christ. And he says, don't tell anyone else yet because I don't want to be used by people for other purposes. It's only after the death and resurrection of Jesus that we can understand what God is all about 
and say to him, here is my life. I will follow you rather than, God, come fix me and make my life more comfortable. Make it easier. As I said, I went on sabbatical five months ago, and uh, my heart was was not in a good place. And those of you that know me, I'm a planner. You guys know that? Like, my iCal is scary. I'm very careful about who I let see, my iCal. It's colored, and every minute is taken. And if you double-click on any box anywhere, I can tell you what I've planned out. I am a planner. And so what I had planned on this sabbatical, this season of of rest. I had all of these plans of what I was going to do and where I was going to go and what I was going to read and how I was going to grow and how it, that rhymed, how I was going to change and all these things. And very early on in the sabbatical, as I spent some time praying, I felt like the Lord said, don't. Don't. Because I want to do something in you that you just can't do. So I want you to take your plans and just put them at my feet and just surrender your life freshly and let me be God to you. And so I did that. And the first season of my sabbatical, I was studying one thing and then another thing and then I went one place and then to another place and about a month ago, I looked at my goals for my sabbatical and I couldn't see how God could get my heart to the place he wanted to take it to. But somehow he did that. Somehow there's something beautiful in just surrendering and letting God be God because he's without limits and without boundaries and out of this world, out of the box. So here's what I want us to think about here with regards to this story. What do we do? How do we respond? What is the practical takeaway for this image of a Jesus that's bigger than anyone here can imagine? More able to move into places in your heart. People that you care about that you wish to God that they could know Jesus. Situations where you want to put your hands and fix things and God just says, no. There's something else you need to do. You need to see me. Here is a church family as we're in this season of asking God about our vision and saying, what do you want to do through us? And God says, don't manipulate me. Just sit and see who I am in my limitless nature. So what are we to hear? The first thing is this. We need to recognize where we are at individually, where you are at individually. 
Some of you here today may have been like me before I met Jesus, and all I had was a kumbaya Jesus. He was this mythological person. I didn't really understand what he had done for me. I needed someone to sit down with me and communicate what the cross is all about. I needed someone to connect the dots between this historical person of Jesus and how I could become born again or saved or a new creation. And I needed help with that, and that's where some of us are at this morning. Listen, our church wants to meet you where you're at. And if that's where you're at, please communicate to somebody. We need help moving up the mountain. Some of us here with the, the our Jesus is the follow me Jesus. And the point that we're at is there are practical issues of obedience where God has likely already communicated to you. You need to take this next step of obedience. Listen, obedience to God is the opener of eyes. We grow and our heart gets bigger when we say, yes, Lord. And we live in a world, and we all know it, we live in a world where people say, oh, I'm a Christian. Really? Are you following Jesus? And so obedience does something almost magical. When my spiritual life plateaus, I ask God, what is the next step? And it's usually very practical, like go apologize to your wife. Express love to this person. Reach out to this person. Surrender. It's just, so what is speaking to you right now? about the follow me Jesus. Is there an issue of obedience where God is pressing in right now in your heart through the Holy Spirit? The way up the mountain is to respond to him. Some of us, we're looking at the missional Jesus and maybe you're exhausted, maybe you're tired, maybe you need a break. Many of us here, we open up our homes and we serve and we sacrifice because we're on mission and that's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. But there are times when God wants to say to us, hey, maybe it's time to rest. Maybe it's time to get away. My wife uh, is working full time as I go through the sabbatical, like I've shared. And she so wants to go to her boss and explain that I've had a sabbatical and she'd like a sabbatical too. But it's just not the way it works. I cook dinner every night. So we need to recognize where we're at. Where do you connect? Another way I could put this is, are you in awe this morning? Do you see the limitless God? Do you see a God that can do anything? Because each of us needs to journey up that mountain. We need to start where we are truly at. There's a second thing. We're invited to worship the Jesus that we do see, wherever we're at. Whether it's Kumbaya Jesus or missional Jesus, wherever you're at, worship does something magical, and I want to talk about that for a minute. There are many different ways we worship God, but worship is essentially recognizing that this is a visited planet. We are not alone. God has given a sign. He has revealed himself. He is holy. He is here. 
He wants to touch our hearts. He wants to move upon us. And worship is for me a time when I take my eyes off of myself and all of my worries and I just look at God revealed in Jesus. I want you to look at this next quote about the importance of worship. I love this quote by John Eldridge. The many forces driving modern life assaulted the life of the heart, but they have also dismantled the heart's habitat, the geography of mystery and the transcendence. There's something about the story that we're living in that is otherworldly, that Jesus, God in the flesh, has come to earth. And this, this God of mystery can't be explained, can't be fully understood. He's just powerful and limitless. But we live in this world, the world of the iPhone, the world where technology dummies l true life down into a technical world. And our hearts are busy, aren't they? Aren't our hearts crowded? and busy, and rushed, and filled with so many cares. And so whether you experience this or not, your heart, like mine, has been dismantled by technology, making worship the place of just remembering the beauty and the greatness and the goodness and the compassion and the mercy and the sovereignty and the providence of God it blinds us to those things. I'd like to share another quote about worship with you. There are those moments when we worship, when time stands still and our heart skips a beat as we feel as if the pierced hand of the Savior himself is on our shoulder. And it is those moments that we have just the taste, just the whisper of what it is going to be like to stand before him forever with a tongue that never grows weary, with a throat that never gets tired, with unveiled eyes, and we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. When we worship, as we're about to do in just a moment, God wants to get to our hearts. And the way God gets to hearts is through worship and spirit. And when I worship, I look at the words and I think about the words and the beauty of inspired words about God does something in my heart. It does something where I have this overwhelming feeling of gratitude that God so loved me that he gave his son for me. And what happens, that magical thing that happens when we worship is beautiful. And here God invites us into that. And the last thing that we as a church family and as individuals can do 
we can ask God to take us higher. I want you to imagine this mountain. You're on the mountain. Where are you at? Did you know there's a mountain? Maybe you didn't even know there's a mountain. God has been revealed through Jesus. Many people turn their back to the mountain and live their entire life as if there is no mountain. And then they come here and they begin a slow journey up the mountain. So where are you at on the mountain? Don't you long to go higher? And I love what David said as he thought about this concept of a mountain and a God that is bigger. And he wrote this in the Psalms. From the end of the earth, in my exhaustion and in my fatigue, from the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Take me higher, God. I can't get there. I can't change my heart. I can't open my eyes to see how big you are. All I can do is ask you to lead me. And if there's one thing I've learned over this sabbatical, it's that God is able. He's able to take us higher. So I'd like you guys to stand. We're going to move into worship, and I'd like to uh, enter into prayer here. If you can bow your heads, let's pray. God, we come to you right now in the middle of such a complex world. I know speaking for me, Lord, my heart is so heavy at times. Thinking about my own journey when I did everything I could to keep you away from Think of all the people that I know that were so hectic, were so harried, and you are so big. And so now, Lord, we want to make a conscious choice to enter into your presence. God, we know you fill the earth, there's no place where you are not. And yet there are times when your presence is more acute, like on that mountain. And we want to enter into just telling ourselves that you're real and pausing and opening up our hearts. So as we sing with our mouths, as we worship with our voices. Would you take these words that we're going to sing? Would you move them that incredible distance of nine inches from our brain to our hearts? We acknowledge that God so loved the world that he sent his son. And because of that sending, because of your love this morning, we're not alone. 
not alone. We make a choice to lift our eyes. We ask you to move these words into our hearts as we worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.